It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. It is September eighteenth, two thousand and eight. Thank you for being a part of our program tonight, and we do look forward to your participation at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. So you can participate in our Bible study tonight, and we look forward to hearing from you wherever you are listening around the world. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is back in town tonight. Dad, help. welcome back to the program. Jacob, it's good to be with you, as always, on Thursday night. We look forward to our Thursday night Bible studies over the Internet. Y'all come on in. Come on, have a seat, and don't worry about the camera. Just step right in front there. It won't, it won't hurt a thing. Um, tonight's kind of special, Jacob. We are having a gospel meeting here at College View this week, and so we have a special guest, James Hahn, who preaches for the church in Belleville, Indiana, is holding our gospel meeting, doing an excellent job. We've had good lessons all week long, and he's going to be with us on the program tonight. James, welcome. Thank you very much. It's certainly a joy to be with you tonight. I've watched the virtual Bible study on uh, Thursday nights up in Indiana, and uh, I think several others up in that area Watch the program each week, and certainly I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to be with you, and it's certainly been a great week so far. Well, we've really enjoyed it, and you've been doing a great job preaching the gospel. We've learned a lot of things that we need to hear, so we appreciate it very much. In fact, we our theme tonight is going to be based upon the sermon that James just preached. We just wrapped up our worship service, and we're going to take his lesson from tonight and make that the theme of our discussion uh, for our program. And, and James, you talked about dangers we face, and you based that lesson on a text from Acts chapter 20. Maybe you could give us a little background on, on the text that you used tonight. All right. Uh, in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, we have the Apostle Paul uh, giving a sort of a farewell address to the elders of the church at Ephesus. As he indicated, he probably would never see their face anymore. But he told them after his departure that there were going to, uh, some things that they were going to have to deal with. And verse 29 of Acts 20, he says that after my departure, I know that something's going to happen, that grievous wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock, indicating that they were going to face some attacks from without. But he also goes ahead in the next verse and says, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And, of course, we know that that's exactly what happened. As we look back through the pages of history, we see that there were departures that arose even from among uh, the brethren themselves, and especially in regards uh, among the elders of the church to whom he was speaking at this particular time. And so I think the same thing is true today, that uh, we face attacks from without, and we also face some dangers from within. And, of course, that was the... Uh, the approach that we used in our study tonight in dealing with some of the things, and I, as I mentioned in the lesson tonight, I'm sure that there will even be some other things that hopefully some of our listeners will uh, bring up tonight that are just as great a dangers as the specific things that I dealt with in the course of that lesson. But one thing I noticed, James, when you brought up that scripture, 
it's 2000 roughly years after Paul made that statement. And we live in a, in a terrible time. But it's refreshing to know to some extent that we're not alone, that people have been dealing with dangers uh, addressed to them throughout the, the ages. Those who are going to be faithful to God have always had challenges, and we can take some confidence in the fact that other people have been able to overcome those challenges. That's exactly right. In fact, as we dealt with each one of the things tonight, we went back to the Scriptures and showing Scriptures that dealt with the specific things that we were dealing with. So that tells us that certainly we're not facing anything new. Sometimes we excuse ourselves, though, by saying it's just such a difficult time that uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's not we can't overcome because nobody's had it as rough as we've had it. People have been dealing with these things for a long time. I, I think that's true of every generation. Uh, you can go back and read statements that have been made by people in different generations, and you'll see them making statements uh, lamenting the fact that things are so much worse during their time than they ever have been. And I guess our children get tired of hearing us make statements uh, that things were not that way when we were growing up. But uh, I think that you're exactly right. It'd be pretty hard to tell Noah that we've got things harder than he had. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) All right. The number to call is 877-381-4567. That's a toll-free number. We'll pay the bill. Give us a call with your thoughts or send an email to questions at collegeview.com. And then during your sermon, James, you cataloged a a good list of things that we need to be aware of. Um, I guess we could just begin to go down those. You've got some questions for our listeners, Dan. Yeah. Earlier today, as we typically do on Thursday, we sent out questions to our update list, and and I had a sneak peek at what James was going to be preaching tonight. And so I asked just two very simple questions. What are the greatest dangers we face from without? That is, from forces external to the church. What are the greatest dangers we face? And number two, what are the greatest dangers that we face from within? That is, from forces internal to the church. And so we want to talk about I think, James, you said you couldn't, you couldn't give an exhaustive list, which I agree. But those two categories are exhaustive. Exactly. That is, we face... External forces that bring dangers upon us, spiritual dangers. And then from within the church, we face spiritual dangers. So putting those two together, that is an exhaustive list of at least the sources exactly. of these dangers. Exactly right. So if you have not responded yet, we hope that you will. Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. In fact, I don't know if you can see the. We've got that address on the table here in front of me. If you forget it, it's pretty easy to remember. Questions at collegeview.com. Or give us a phone call. We'll put you right on the air. Nine three no no eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Before we get further in that discussion, I wanna I wanna mention what's on the board behind us here. We've got a question hanging out there that we posed a couple of weeks ago, and we're gonna leave it up for a, a little while longer. Uh, the question about Sarah Palin, of course, she's the Republican nominee for vice president, and there's been a lot of discussion among brethren. I've, I'm hearing lots of people commenting about this. And really, uh, I'm, I'm hearing people express differing views on this. But we've asked, could you, would you, should you, do you think that it would be morally right to vote for a woman to high elective office such as vice president of the United States? We're not dealing with the political question. Now, we could talk about her politics, and I'm sure we'd find plenty of people who agree with her politics and likely others who would disagree with her politics. But we're not asking this uh, uh, because of her politics. We're asking about whether or not it is in God's plan and would it be acceptable in, in scripturally or biblically for a woman to have high elective office such as that. And as Christians, could we help to put her in such a position? That's the question. We've promised to deal with it. I'm, as I said, we're getting differing views uh, from various people. 
Uh, and we're going to voice those differing opinions uh, in a program to come up within the next few weeks, Jacob, before the election happens in November. All right. We will look forward to that discussion. Again, we won't have a political discussion. We'll just have a moral question on whether or not uh, we could elect a woman to that position. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com is the way you participate in the discussion tonight, talking about challenges and dangers that we face and to our spirituality today, living in 2008, what are some challenges and dangers that we need to be aware of? And, James, you listed a, a, a number of those in your sermon tonight, one of those being the fact that uh, that we're losing uh, respect for God in general and a respect for his word and a need for authority from his word for all that we do. That's exactly right, and I think maybe this should be at the very top of the list, and I think that we're seeing it as, certainly in our society today that uh, efforts are being made on every hand to rid our society of any mention of God or any reference to God, and it's uh, it's sad that our society has gone in that direction. And uh, as I pointed out from the first chapter of the book of Romans, uh, when the Apostle Paul is showing that God was just in condemning sin and the Gentiles, even though they did not have a written codified law as did the Jews of old, they were still without excuse, Paul said. And one of the reasons that he gave, or the reason that he gave for the kind of behavior and conduct that was characteristic, and we mentioned in particular the uh, homosexual uh, behavior of many, was the fact that Paul said they refused to retain God in their knowledge. And I, I've said so many times, if you want to know what's going to happen to a nation or to a people as far as conduct and behavior is concerned, it, when they leave God out of their lives, you just read the first chapter of the book of Romans and you'll have a description of the conduct and behavior that you can expect when God is left out. Well, and that's in our society as a whole but the sad part of it, as you mentioned in your sermon, that Christians are losing that respect and reverence for God as well. We see that in their conduct. Sadly, that, uh, that is certainly the, the case. And uh, if anyone is going to turn uh, the thinking of men and women back to God, it's going to have to be those who love him and respect his word and respect that authority. And we're going to have to speak out uh, in no uncertain terms uh, and let people know of our faith in God and in his word and be, not be ashamed to take a stand on it. We need to influence the world. Sadly, the world is influencing us. I think that's the problem. You know, the world, I, I've always said Christians are not at the cutting edge of these things. They're not out there leading the march into uh, the ungodliness and so forth of, that's characteristic of our society. But unfortunately, we're letting society drag us along with them. And that that is a great problem. But I think this lack of reverence toward God, toward his word, is, is certainly true. It's true in the general society, but even among Christians, we find, a, how many times have we heard people say that maybe we should tone down our message, James? Maybe, you know, you're, you're a Bible-thumping preacher. You, uh, you, just, you, you reference so many scriptures. Why do, you, why do you feel like you have to quote so many scriptures? You know, maybe if you tone that down a little bit, people would be more pleased to hear what you have to say. I even heard uh, a few years back, a member of the church made the statement that had Stephen there in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, had he been a little more tactful, he possibly would not have lost his life. But Stephen was more concerned about uh, upholding truth than he was uh, saving his life. 
And he did lose his life because he told those individuals in no uncertain terms that they were resisting the Holy Spirit and that they were stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. And they didn't like it, and they demonstrated their dislike by stoning him to death. And I think that we need to have that same kind of courage uh, to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. We say that we're concerned about the salvation of souls. And if that's really true, then we need to get back to emphasizing the only thing that will accomplish. Yet there are preachers who claim to believe that who may reference one or two scriptures in their sermons and don't want to get too deep into the Bible. We might turn people off. And uh, sadly, the world has influenced uh, the thinking of many Christians. Sadly, that's true. I had a young fellow come to me one time over in uh, South Carolina after I preached a lesson very similar to the one that I preached tonight. And he made the statement to me. And, uh, of course, he was trying to be uh, kind in his criticism. And he said, uh, James, he said, I've just reached the point that I've got to where I preach principles and I don't make application." And my reply to him at that time was that I guess David was glad that Nathan hadn't learned that lesson. Uh, David understood the principle that Nathan set forth in the parable of the little ewe lamb. But it wasn't until Nathan said, Thou art the man, that he understood that what he needed to do. So he didn't hold back on making the application. He made the application. Exactly right. All right. Well, we'll, t- we'll take a break. And, uh, James, you mentioned that there may be some people up in Indiana listening. And if you're, if you're listening to James and you miss him, why don't you give us a call at 877-381-4567 or send your emails to questions at collegeu.com. And on the other side of the break, We'll take some uh, maybe some feedback from our audience that's live with us tonight. Uh, you just raise your hand if you have anything you'd like to add, and we'll take your comments. We'll take a short break and be right back after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Virtual Bible Study continues. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're a part of it tonight, and we look forward to your participation again over the phone or over email tonight as we talk about dangers we're facing in the times that we live in and things that are a challenge to us spiritually. You can call, you can email, or if you're in the audience tonight, you can raise your hand. We'll look forward to hearing from you. We do have a, a listener here in the audience with us. Uh, Elder, uh, Arthur Haynes is here, and he has a comment he'd like to make. And Mike, if you'd hand him the microphone there. In reference to our talking about the dangers that uh, face us in our day and time, and and uh, we think about, well, is it that we just don't know enough about God, but or why is it that this kind of thing is facing us? But I'm reminded of the chapter of Acts 14th and verse 16 and 17. He was 
Paul there, I mean Luke writing in the book of Acts, he said, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he that is God left not himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. All right, so there is then there would be no excuse for us not to uh, reverence God because of all the blessings that we've seen from Him. Exactly right, uh, and it's a shame to see in the general society that people are not reverencing God. But it's, I, I'm more concerned, as James has pointed out, to see that even some of our own brethren are losing that high degree of reverence for God. And you mentioned James something that I wanted to just briefly comment about that. One of the manifestations of that lack of reverence for God is even in the way that people would dress and conduct themselves in worship services. Now, I know that as soon as we comment about that, people are going to say, well, they're going to try to enforce a dress code. You know, you, you're trying to say that people have to wear a shirt and a tie and, and that, that somehow or another you're going to enforce some kind of arbitrary dress code upon us. How do you respond to people who say that? Well, certainly, uh, as they uh, along that same line, many people say, "Oh, God doesn't uh, look on the outward appearance; He looks on the heart." But my reply to that is that so often the outward appearance is a reflection of what is in the heart, and we dress according to the uh, importance that we attach to the occasion. For example, if I'm going to go out and uh, and and the a pastor to play softball, I don't dress the same way that I would that if I'm going to a funeral or if I'm going to a wedding or some uh, affair that I consider to be of importance to me. And I just don't believe that there's anything more important than our assembling to worship God. And I, someone once said that we ought to dress when we uh, assemble to worship God like we're attending the funeral of our best friend. And certainly when we uh, come together on the first day of the week to uh, partake of the Lord's Supper and to remember his death, that's exactly what we're doing. And, and, I, and I just think that the, uh, the dress reflects the uh, importance that we're attaching to the occasion. And uh, so that's the answer that I usually give. You know, you mentioned earlier the episode with Nathan, the prophet Nathan, coming to speak to King David about his sin with Bathsheba. And you remember that... After that, the child that was conceived by Bathsheba uh, was born very ill, and David was fasting and praying on behalf of his sick child. But when the child died, it says in Second Samuel 12, verse 20, that David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came to the house of the Lord and worshipped. <clears throat> there, David sets an example that I think is a worthy one, that you know he saw it was important to to make himself look appropriate for that activity. And, and that's the point that I like to make. Uh, as you say, we're certainly not trying uh, to enforce any kind of dress code or saying that, oh, if you don't have the, the nicest of clothes, then you can't assemble to worship. Uh, what we're dealing with is, is this attitude of looking upon our assembling to worship God as some type of casual affair that is of little importance and attaching little or no significance to it. That It's the attitude that we're dealing with. I think that's exactly right. Some other areas where you see the lack of reverence of God, James, what are some other things that you see specifically in the lives of Christians where the reverence of God is not uh, at the level it needs to be? Well, of course, you, uh, you see it in some of the conduct that we, we talked about tonight, and I, I mentioned in the course of the lesson tonight that there are very various practices and uh, activities that there was a time 
that if you just mentioned these things, that that was sufficient to say to any God-fearing individual, these things don't have any place in the life of a Christian. Such things as uh, social drinking and uh, uh, gambling that has become such a curse in our society today. And, and as I travel around over the country, I find uh, people professing to be children of God that are openly, not only openly uh, participating in these things, but uh, even defend uh, their participation in these things as though there's nothing wrong with it. But now we're talking about reverencing God, and then you jump off into activities like drinking and uh, other how does that show a lack of reverence for god well uh, because it shows a lack of reverence for what he's revealed to us in his word as we go back and look through the uh, pages of god's word and and this is a point that i have really emphasized over and over that we're not going to have any respect for what is contained in the bible which is the word of god until, first of all, we develop that reverence and respect for the source of the message, and that is God himself. And I mentioned a, a previous lesson in the meeting, uh, going back in the Old Testament. For example, in the book of Leviticus, uh, when God is giving various uh, ceremonial laws, and as he would give these instructions to, uh, in regards, uh, I think somewhere around chapters 19 and 20, as he would give each one of the, the laws, he would say, I am the Lord thy God, or I am Jehovah thy God. And, and what he is doing is, he's saying that's the only reason you need for doing this. You recognize who I am. You reverence me. You reverence then what I have to say to you and do what I say. And, and the fact that we see people in our society today giving little attention to the Bible, giving little attention to what the Word of God teaches, and the reason for it is that they do not. They have a small estimation of the one who gave it to them. Exactly. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeu dot com. And one of those areas that is becoming increasingly common in our society, and unfortunately, I hear it uh, from Christians as well, is the taking of the Lord's name in vain. And when we do that, we show a, a disrespect for our Father. We show that uh, we don't reverence Him as we should. That's right, and that's become very common in the world. I mean, if you turn on the TV sets, you can almost guarantee that in short order you'll hear someone take the Lord's name in vain on, on the TV and, and some of the programming on TV. It's become, the, it's become the, expression, the favorite expression of people to express surprise or disdain or um, shock. They just use the Lord's name in vain. Unfortunately, I've, I've experienced Christians who do the same, and and they use the the Lord's name in vain, or they use some euphemism to represent the Lord's name and uh, show great respect for Him, show great disrespect for Him in the process. What about those euphemisms, James? Uh, a lot of people say, "Well, I'm not saying the Lord's name in vain," and so they're acceptable. What do you think about those? Well, I've often said uh, we do not uh, need to use a substitute for something we ought not to be saying to start with. And so many of these uh, euphemisms are, are, like uh, Greg has already pointed out, are simply uh, considered by many to be a a milder form of the profanity. But along that same line, uh, a lot of people, uh, when we talk about using God's name in vain, we uh, often think of the profanity and and the cursing and so forth that is so common in our society. But uh, there's another way that I believe that God's name is used in vain, uh, and, and people talking about the man upstairs, 
or the big man, and and just in a light and frivolous way. And to or me, Dad, I've heard him refer to God as Dad. Yeah, and and to me that is just as disrespectful as the profanity that we often have reference to when we're talking about taking God's name in vain. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeu.com. If any of you all in the audience have a comment, you're right here. We'll, we'll put you right up front to, to say whatever you need to say. Arthur, you got something? Yeah, to add? got another comment. All right. I'm going to back up just a little bit, Jacob. I didn't get your attention to say it earlier, but in reference to uh, respect, uh, in reference to our attire, uh, I'm mindful of the verse there back in uh, Genesis, the 41st chapter, after uh, Joseph had uh, interpreted some, some dreams for a couple of individuals. Uh, uh, Pharaoh was made mindful of that, and Joseph was in prison at that time. And then it says in verse 14, it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself, and he changed his raiment before he came before Pharaoh. So this is just even with uh, man, mankind, you can see how the respect and appreciation for uh, King Pharaoh that Joseph would change his garment and his clothing because he was coming before Pharaoh the king. That's right. Exactly right. If you would do that to go before the king, why wouldn't you do that to go before God? If the president of the United States, I don't care what your political affiliation is, but if you knew that the president of the United States was going to be here tonight, you would you would make some special effort to dress uh, in, 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 the, in a, the best way that you could. Or if you're going before a judge in a trial, exactly right, you would... You know, you're not going to go. You're not going to go there just in your ra- in, in raggy old clothes. You're going to try to make yourself look as good as you can if you're standing before the, a judge. So that's just common sense. I don't know why people want to argue with common sense. All right, and then uh, James, I think James, 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 it wasn't too long ago. Uh, the point that Greg just made was impressed upon my mind. Uh, we have a lot of these court shows on TV now, and I remember not too long ago there was a fellow came into the courtroom and just sloppy attire. And the, and the judge's question to that individual, where did you think you were going today? And so even they recognize uh, the importance of such. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And one of the ways that we're not showing reverence uh, to God as we should is we're not worshiping him in the way that he's requested us to worship him. Uh, a lot of uh, focus nowadays on worship is on the effect it has on me, not on uh, the desire of the one that we're worshiping. Instead, we're concerned about what we want, how it affects me, rather than we're going to comply with the wishes of our Father who's told us how he wants us to worship him. You know, we hear, we see around town, even here in our locality, different religious groups saying that they're going to have a, a, at a set time a traditional worship service, and at another time they're going to have what they're calling a contemporary worship service. And my understanding of those, although I've never attended a contemporary worship service. I understand that they have um, sort of modern, uh, what they call contemporary Christian music, which is very much like rock and roll music, and and it's it's uh, it dressed down and much more casual, uh, much more informal, because that's it's 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 designed to appeal to what people want, with without apparent regard for what God wants. All right, James. They've turned around uh, the statement that Jesus made to his father. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. 
and they've turned it around and says, not thy will, but my will be done. And uh, please myself. And if we're doing it in worship, it's going to trickle down into every other aspect of our life, and we see that in the life of not many. Not far people. from here, uh, some who live in this area will know of a big church in our area that's called the People's Church. And I think probably it's well named yep. uh, because it's 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 theirs. It's it does what they want and it's for them. And uh, so I mean I guess they've named it appropriately, but it's not to suggest that God is in the picture or that what what God wants is even being considered. We'll take a break and get this week's bullet point. When we come back on the other side, we'll continue the discussion. We need to get into some of the other areas that James mentioned in his sermon. We'll take your comments as well. I see some emails piling up there that we need to address, uh, some dangers that you see coming to us from within the church and outside of the church, some dangers we face to our spirituality today. We look forward to hearing from you on the phones or over email. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. When the Apostle Paul preached his famous sermon on Mars Hill in Athens, his teaching received three distinct reactions. Quote, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him, and believed. Acts 17, verses 32 through 34. Do you see it? Some rejected the teaching immediately. Others procrastinated or withheld judgment and did nothing. But some enthusiastically accepted the truth and acted upon it. The same three reactions are in evidence to this day, even among members of the Lord's church. Consider this scenario. The preacher preaches a hard sermon that exposes sin and worldliness. It's one of those sermons that steps on toes and hits close to home. Some Christians will grow angry. The things taught suggest the need to change, and they're not willing to do so. They are happy to hear preaching on things they already agree about, but if a lesson contradicts their existing views or practices, they get mad. They are like those in Athens who mocked. Some other brethren hear this same sermon, and while it plainly shows that there are things they need to change in their life, they postpone any action. These are the ones who commend the preacher as they go out the door saying, I really needed that, or you really stomped on my toes today, and yet they do nothing. They continue in their former ways. In effect, they are saying, we will hear thee again of this matter. Thank God that there are those who are tenderhearted, those who are always looking to bring their life into closer harmony with the will of God. These are the folks who, upon hearing the truth, respond by putting it into practice in their lives. If it means changing from what they previously believed, they will do so. Their commitment is to the Lord. Serving Him is their first priority. May their tribe increase. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. Thank you for being a part of it tonight. We want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We meet uh, on at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to come and worship with us on Sunday morning at 9.30, Sunday evening at 6 o'clock p.m., and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., and... We are in the middle of a special series of lessons uh, this week. Tomorrow night we'll conclude that special series at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow evening you can hear James Hahn from Indiana who is with us, giving us excellent lessons from God's Word. We're talking with him tonight on the virtual Bible study about dangers that uh, present uh, are presented to us from within and without tonight, dangers to our spirituality, and we're looking forward to hearing from you over email or over the phone tonight. James, in your lesson tonight, you mentioned, I want to get us to another topic that you commented about, and that is the attack on the home. You know, the, the, the standard of family structure 
is becoming not standard anymore. That's uh, certainly a sad situation and a sad commentary on our society. In the very beginning, God uh, created man and made woman as a help that was suitable or compatible to him and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And so God's arrangement from the very beginning as far as the marriage relationship is that one man, one woman, till death do they part. And we're seeing a deviation from this in so many ways. But, but James, don't you know we know better than that now? We've figured out that it's better for us if we don't have to live in a marriage Speaking where... Speaking facetiously. Yeah, right. Because well, we know better than God, right? Uh, that's exactly what... Uh, I don't know whether it's a man saying that uh, he knows uh, better than God as it is that he doesn't care what God says or doesn't acknowledge that God exists. I mentioned uh, earlier about uh, Paul's statement there in Romans 1 about uh, men refusing to retain God in their knowledge. And you see the conduct and behavior that is characteristic of people who are in a society when that happens. And as I mentioned in the lesson tonight, a friend of mine expressed it like this, that uh, when man refuses to retain God in their knowledge, God will let them stew in their own juice which is just another way of saying that he will allow man to suffer the consequences of the decisions that he's made. And we're seeing it in our society today, and especially as as Greg mentioned in regards to the home. And I think one of the greatest uh, manifestations of that in our society today is the uh, uh, reception, uh, I guess it would be the proper term to use uh, in the society in general, of homosexual uh, behavior. Uh, this uh, throughout the Bible uh, has been condemned by God. It's an abomination to God. But in our society today, it's been interpreted as a show of love to accept such conduct and such behavior as though God approves of it. And the fact uh, is that God does not approve of it. And it's uh, we're seeing uh, laws passed to legalize uh, relationships that are condemned by God. And it's an attack upon the home as God would have it. Well, it is, but it is just a long line of attacks that we're coming to now. It started a long time ago with the attack of of marriage between a man and a wife, where people have said we can break those marriages up at any time we want. We don't have to have any respect for what God said about that relationship. And this is just another step along that road, I believe. Exactly. And uh, again, on that relationship, God's word is very plain. One man, one woman, till death do they part. As we mentioned in the lesson tonight, anytime there's a deviation from that, somebody has violated God's will. Now, I've asked this question before. I'll get your opinion on it. We saw in the denominational world uh, an acceptance of divorce and unlawful remarriage. And then a progression from that went from an acceptance to homosexuality. Now, there are many denominations who say there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. In the Lord's Church, we have seen an acceptance of divorce and unlawful remarriage. How long do you think it will be before those who claim to be followers of Christ are accepting homosexuality among the Lord's Church or trying to make an effort to accept that? We don't have to wait. Uh, There are already, uh, I I can uh, pinpoint individuals that I've talked to uh, already that are making arguments to justify it. As though that it, that is something that a person is born that way, and the, the, in essence, they're blaming God uh, with that. But getting back to your point about the acceptance of any, I think we see this in so many areas, and we've mentioned it during the break. 
But that which uh, becomes tolerated in any one generation, and uh, uh, then it becomes commonly accepted. And I I made the reference in the, the course of the lesson tonight that in 1963, there were 428,000 divorces in the United States. Well, back at that particular time, uh, to bring that figure before a group of Christians was somewhat alarming because it, uh, divorce just wasn't commonly accepted. And then by 1975, for the first time in the history of the nation, there were over one million divorces in the United States, which shows uh, how prevalent it was becoming. To the point that I think the, now they say that at least one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. Well, these, these numbers that you cited, I was thinking in 63, 428,000 divorces in 75, over a million. My guess is that now there's that many in the state of Tennessee annually. I would not be surprised. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that just tells you how much it has changed. And so that's, a, that's an attack on the home. And as, as the, the structure of the home is attacked in our society, Christians suffer from that. Because even among Christians, divorce has become far more prevalent. As you say, even among Christians, the the instances of uh, that we're hearing of people who becoming involved in homosexuality. And Fifty years ago, we wouldn't have heard about it at all. We hear about it more and more. And so, as as the as the home crumbles under attack in our society, then the homes of Christians are also under attack. And the media is playing an important role in this. I think the media has been very instrumental in promoting the homosexual agenda uh, to the point that if you were to see, if uh, I, I think anybody who's in the room to, tonight would agree, if you were to see on a TV show, homosexuality is under consideration and maybe in a sitcom or some other situation, and there is someone being depicted as an oddball, who would be the oddball in that situation? Not the homosexual. It would be the person who was opposed to homosexuality would be depicted yeah. in the media as a, as someone completely out of touch, a, a weirdo, if he thinks that there's something wrong with homosexuality. Well, we see this all the time, that uh, that person is depicted as some kind of narrow-minded bigot. I made mention in the lesson tonight a quote of Alexander Pope uh, many, many years ago, but I think that it sums up the very thing that we're talking about. He said, vice is a monster of so frightful mean as to be hated needs but to be seen. But seen too oft, familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. And I think that's what's happened in our society, that these things have become so commonly accepted in our society in general that we eventually see it coming into the church. And Satan doesn't have to get us to accept it all at once. He just has to get us to think it's not that bad anymore. It's that There may be a little bit of a humorous comedic value there. It's not quite as bad as what God makes it out to be, yeah. and before long we're right down the road he wants us to be yeah. down. I told you the other day, James, about a psychologist I know who's in the church, and he expressed something to me that I think is very frightful to consider. He said back in the 60s, in in these supposedly enlightened academic circles, this is where the homose- homosexual agenda began. And in those supposedly elite intellectual uh, circles, they were saying homosexuality is not a bad thing, and it, it should be it should be accepted, it should be embraced. Well, here we are, 50 years later, and they have succeeded in promoting that agenda into the general population. Mm-hmm. And that's bad enough. But he says now what's very frightful is that in those same intellectual circles, 
what they're promoting is pedophilia, that it's not bad uh, to have sexual relations between an adult and a child. And he says it's scary to think that they would be as successful in promoting that agenda as they were in promoting the homosexual agenda. That's just a frightening thought. But you, you, you know that it has happened in past societies. And, of course, God has always brought his judgment. That's the thing we've got to remember. God has always brought his judgment upon nations and societies that rejected his will and, and became overwhelmed with such wickedness. And we cannot believe that our, our nation, our society, won't also be judged by God. All right, we have another a comment from Arthur in the audience. Um, in reference to thinking about why some people uh, believe some of the things they do and some of the things that they teach, and uh, sometimes, you know, you... Uh, I know I've quoted on a number of occasions a, a very simple passage in reference to uh, one believing in being baptized, and it's just kind of hard to understand why people couldn't accept the fact that he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. And how that some people will use so many uh, descriptive terms to try to explain that away. And I was thinking about what Paul had written to the Thessalonians in the Second uh, Thessalonians 2 and verse 10, 11, and 12. He said, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not a love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God has sent strong delusions, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, and have pleasure in unrighteousness. So we see the reason for that is because they don't love truth. They love uh, the pleasure that's in unrighteousness. All right. Thank you for that comment. Any of the rest of you now, if you have a comment, by all means, speak up. Go ahead, Jacob. All right. We have another comment. We do have a comment all the way in the back there. Another mic is going to get the mic. One of the one of the uh, passages I think about that really haunts me when I compare it to our situation today in Hosea four six, where it says, "You know, my people are destroyed for you know, for, for lack of knowledge," and and I compare that to to today. You know, at some point, Greg's made the point before that. Yeah, you know, there was a time when members of the church were thought of as people who were good students of the Bible and things like that. And now, sometimes you can talk to members of the church that don't really have an idea of, of, of what the five steps, you know, the the, the plan of salvation, etc., and, and things like that are. Good point, Mike. And that is along the lines of an email we have from Jerry in West Tennessee, I believe. Uh, I don't think Jerry's in West Tennessee anymore. Not anymore. He's relocated. Okay. Uh, he says, it seems to me the greatest danger from within is complacency, being satisfied with the level of knowledge and spiritual growth one has attained. And so that those points are along the lines with what you said, Mike. Certainly, We're just setting ourselves up for failure. If, if we don't maintain a good working knowledge of the Bible, we're just ripe for attacks from Satan. And I'm like you, Mike. I think that this is a real problem. If we were to ask some members of, of, of congregations, uh, uh, what, where, where would you go, for instance, to show that homosexuality is a sin? I think they'd be at a loss. I'm not sure they'd be able to open their Bible and say, there it is, there's what's going on. Or another subject that you brought up in your lesson tonight, James, was about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And, of course, there's been all kinds of false doctrines taught on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We wouldn't have time tonight to cover them all. But I'm afraid that a lot of Christians are not able to say, here's the scripture, here's what the Bible says, and it's very plain, as you said tonight in your sermon, what the what the scripture teaches on marriage, divorce, and remarriage is not difficult to understand. 
I had that impressed upon my mind uh, many years ago. Uh, the, I was studying with a couple of ladies that had been studying with uh, two fellows from another religious group. And uh, they invited me to sit in on the study. And after we had studied for a while, they asked these other individuals to leave because they just were not willing to accept uh, the teachings of that particular uh, uh, book that they were using, the Book of Mormon. But after they left, one of the ladies asked the question. She said, I want to ask you a question. She said, what does your church teach concerning divorce and remarriage? And after explaining to her that it was a matter of following the teaching of Christ, that I wasn't uh, concerned about church doctrine, I was concerned about the teaching of Christ, I simply read Matthew 19.9. I did not make a single comment in regards to the passage. She looked across the table at me and she said, I could never be a part of a church that would teach something like that. said, if that's so, I would have to leave the man that I'm married to now. Because she had divorced her first husband and for some reason other than fornication. And now she was married to another man. And she said, I, I just can't accept that. And I, and I said, well, ma'am, I said, all I did was read to you the words of Jesus. And the other lady said, that's right. That's all he did. He didn't make any comment. And, but she taught me a valuable lesson. And that is that when people are honest, it, uh, they may not accept it. But at least they uh, can understand what the Bible teaches, and not only what it teaches, but what it means as far as their own personal situation. I've had the same experience with a man who had no religious training, no religious background, just simply read the passages to him. He said, well, you're telling me I don't have a right to be married to, or get married to the person I want to get married to. Yeah. I was studying one time with a young man who had even some learning disability. He he was not a good reader. He He had some difficulty reading simple passages. But he was interested in studying, and he he was in the same situation you described, Jacob. He was unscripturally divorced. He was not remarried at the time. But he had no understanding of the Bible at all on that subject or any other subject for that matter. And I just asked him to read Matthew 19.9, and he read it haltingly. And he looked up and he said, that verse says I can't ever get married again, doesn't it? And he, he was not a greatly intelligent person and had not spent any time studying the Bible but on his own, he could easily reach that deduction. It's not a difficult concept. But we have very intelligent Christians, gospel preachers today, who are telling us it's very complicated, yeah. and we can't understand it. And that's some of the attack from within that we are dealing with. We've got some of our own brethren who are teaching things that are not true, and that's an attack from within. And and they're, they're contributing to this degradation of the family unit, the attack on the home, James. Rightfully so, and very much so. We are running out of time. We're going to go to one last break, then we'll go to the top of the hour. When we get to the other side of the break, we need to talk about uh, something that Jerry brings up in his email. He says, it seems to me the greatest danger we face from without is worldliness. That is the attraction of the things that the world provides for our use and enjoyment. Lots of things we need to talk about there, and let's take that up on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? 
You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. Thank you again for being a part of it. We look forward to hearing from you in these last few minutes of the program. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Before the break, we talked about uh, a danger that Jerry brought to our attention in his email about worldliness and the attraction of the world. James, you made some excellent points about uh, worldliness in your sermon tonight. That's right. We uh, dealt with the influence of the world, and, and it gets back to what we've uh, talked about already tonight, is to, uh, what becomes so commonly accepted in our society then becomes uh, accepted among members of the church eventually. And uh, uh, we're surrounded by this day in and day out. As I mentioned in the lesson that I uh, comment of a lady down in Florida about some worldly activities, we don't think anything about it. And I think that's one of the problems uh, that we find. that, Or it doesn't we, bother me. Right. It, it, we see it day in and day out, and we get to the point that we become almost uh, desensitized. And I think that's one of the reasons why that we need to get back to more studies like this to uh, make uh, brethren aware of the dangers that exist and, and what's happening. And uh, like you mentioned a moment ago, this doesn't take place overnight. It's a, gra- a gradual thing. I like the illustration that you gave of that. You were teaching in South Florida, and you were teaching about the subject of modest dress. And this Christian in South Florida said, you people from up north just are, you don't understand that we don't think anything about wearing yeah. bathing suits and so forth down here. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem. But that's become more and more prevalent nationwide. Now. We've, we've be- our, our, our thinking has become the standard rather than going back to God's word and saying, what yeah. is the standard we need to be living by? And we need to make sure we always do that. Sadly, we don't have to go south to find that attitude either. That's exactly no, we right. don't. Let's talk about uh, the way that we dress, though, James. And the, you brought out in, the fa- in your sermon several times about the fact that w- the way that you dress says something about your character and what is important to you. And when we dress in immodest apparel, mm-hmm. it tells everybody that we meet, people we may never have contact with again, what are our priorities in this life. The Apostle Paul there in First uh, Timothy 2 and verse 9, he's speaking uh, and, uh, uh, specifically to women there, but the application would would be to all that uh, their dress and their attire was to be as women professing godliness. And like I pointed out in the lesson tonight, when uh, women or men, for that matter, go out in their skimpy attire and their immodest uh, apparel, people may look upon them as professing something, but it's not godliness. Well, in First Peter chapter three, verses three through five. 
our inward person is intertwined with the way that we present ourselves on the on the outside. Exactly. And a lot of people are showing us that their heart is in a bad condition before God by the yeah. way they're dressing. A lot of Christians yeah. are portraying that. We've got the problem of immodesty, and also it was suggested we've got we, we've got Christians who are allowing the world to influence them, even to the point of uh, arguing in favor of social drinking. Uh, James, I know that you mentioned that, and, and sadly, that is the case. Exactly, and uh, there's, uh, Jeremiah of old made a, a statement about the, uh, Israel of old that I think that is very characteristic of our society. Uh, he raises the question, were they ashamed? And he said, no, they were not ashamed, neither could they blush. Uh, someone has often said that man is the only creature of God that can blush or needs to. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly right. And one more thing that you mentioned, and I, and I think we want to bring it up just briefly here. We've talked about it on the virtual Bible study in the past, but that's gambling. And unfortunately, I've heard Christians who argue that there's not anything wrong with them buying a, a lottery ticket when they go in to buy their uh, pay for their gasoline or buy a gallon of milk yeah. and buy a lottery ticket. Uh, that, that's sad. Uh, as pointed out from Ephesians 4 and verse 28, uh, the Apostle Paul sets forth the legitimate means of us obtaining uh, our livelihood. Uh, what I refer to as the process of fair exchange, uh, working with your hands that you may have to give to him that uh, is in need. And uh, gambling does not fall within the realm of anything that is authorized in the pages of God's Word. Someone has defined gambling as stealing from another with the other's consent. Yeah. And uh, it certainly would fall in the category of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. I've often asked people to just draw a line down a piece of paper and put works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit over those two columns. And now you tell me which one you're going to put gambling in. Exactly right. All right, we've got a comment in the back again. Mike, go ahead. You know, another thing I think we tend to think I see a huge danger with Christians is that we think that just because we're not all the way up with the world, that we're only a step or two behind it, that, that that's okay. And I really think it needs to be more of, the world needs to be way up there, and we need to be way back. You know, if you think about, maybe y'all can speak to more of this, but, you know, I think about when, when the movie Gone with the Wind came out and it had one bad word in it, you know, there was a lot of, from what I've read, there was a lot of people in the religious world who were upset with that. But now if you talk to anyone who goes to the movies and you ask them, was that a good movie? And they say, well, you know, it had five or six you know, bad words in it, but yet how is it from... 30, 40 years ago, that one bad word means you need to stay away, whereas now, you know, a certain number of bad words means that... It's a pretty good movie yeah. if it only has three or four and maybe one scene with a naked woman in it. It's a pretty good movie, and you ought to watch it. Exactly. All and, right. you know, it seems like we're just trying to stay a step or two behind the world as opposed to being... That's what completely. I was suggesting earlier. You know, we're not... Christians in general are not out there at the extreme leading edge of, of this march toward more and more worldliness. But we're letting society drag us along, and we're compromising our standards in the process of it. I think that's exactly right. All right. You have time. If you'll quickly jump on the phone, 877-381-4567, or you send your email to questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, let me read an email from Patrick in Birmingham, Alabama, who writes in and says, Greatest dangers we face from without. He says, The dangers that exist today outside the church are essentially the same as they were in Paul's day. I read in Acts 19 and 20. Before replying, and simply in chapter 19, we have an example of non-Christians who saw their own livelihood in jeopardy because the truth of Christ threatened to turn people away from idolatry and to the one true God. These men asserted their own belief in idols and would attempt to turn Christians away from the truth. They would even be willing to do anything necessary to get rid of those teaching the truth, whether this might mean discrediting them, 
humiliating them, imprisoning them, or even having them put to death. Even today, we have people and governments that threaten Christians with humiliation or death. China and North Korea or uh, other communist or Islamic countries or even poor countries inhabited by idolatrous people can all bring danger from outside the church. In addition, pagan people's lifestyles can be a horrible influence that can pervert the morality of Christians. I could go on indefinitely about this. It was true in first century Palestine and Rome. It's true today in the United States and elsewhere. So uh, I think he mentions that there's even a political uh, intolerance toward the preaching of Christ. I think that's exactly true. So I think if I was to summarize what Patrick said, it's dangerous from without an intolerance of the teaching of the gospel uh, uh, in many places, and then also that the the immorality of the world affects Christians. I think that's right along the lines of a lot of what we've been saying today. And I like the way that he calls out the fact that we have similar challenges that people throughout time have faced who wanted to be uh, faithful to God. We'll go back to the audience. Arthur has a comment, I believe. I know I was... Uh watching some of these uh, political uh, debates and some of the things about uh, what the candidates are standing for and what to believe. And, and uh, I can uh, remember when uh, Sarah Palin got on the ticket as vice president and uh, when she had uh, mentioned God's name or, or uh, had some belief in God, even though it was uh, an error, that they were just so much question, you know, as to what what is she allowing? Is she allowing God to dictate what she does? And all these questions about, you know, God, that uh, what is she doing with this kind of thing, you know, that, that this really was no place for God in her life. And it just, uh, it's just unreal, uh, the uh, criticism and all that she had because of her belief in God and which is so sad to see in our day and time. It's uh, it's something that's strange now. If you, you profess to believe in God and you want to follow what he has for you to do in your life, that's strange. If, and that, people person, never heard of if it. that person had been a Muslim, then people would have been criticized for saying anything at all about her religion. But because she's a Christian, they believe it's fair game wide open. Let me read the second part of Patrick's uh, email, Greatest Dangers from Within. Now, I want you to remember, Patrick's a, 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 a fairly regular contributor on the virtual Bible study, and we always appreciate you, Patrick, for joining in. He is a Catholic, and so he's going to say some things here that I would not agree with, but I'm going to read it the way he wrote it. He said, again, since Acts 20 was the cited passage in the email, I'm also using it as a launching place for my answer to this question about dangers from within. He says, Acts 20, 17, and 28, Paul's audience appears to be a group of priests. He says, even if you disagree with that, you should at least concede that the group addressed is a group of elders. They were elders. We, uh, uh, Patrick's right about that. He says in verse 29 and 30 of chapter 20, Paul specifically warns that there will be those elsewhere referred to as false brethren who will cause harm from within. Even worse, those who are leaders in the church who should be guiding the flock of Christians in truth will go astray and take others with them. This still happens today. Forces within the church are probably worse than those outside the church. We can expect non-Christians to act the way they do, but it causes scandal when Christians go astray. One excellent example of a modern problem is Catholic laypersons who are politicians and publicly declare themselves Catholic yet hold, teach, and promote things greatly contrary to Orthodox Catholic teaching. Nancy Pelosi's statement that the Catholic Church really hasn't decided whether abortion is wrong or not, she's dead wrong. But she's a high-profile personality and she's causing scandal by her actions. Priests can go bad. 
to give an early example, uh, Marcion in the second century taught that there were two gods, one good, one evil, one of the Old Testament, one of the New Testament. He drew many away with his teaching. Even today we have bishops who have been excommunicated because they've gone astray and started ordaining women, or maybe they are openly gay and causing scandal. This, in my opinion, is far worse than anything that could happen from outside the church. Now, he's speaking as a Catholic. Of course, we know the Catholic church has just been riddled with scandal, uh, and I think it, it certainly has harmed their reputation in many, many ways. I don't agree, and Patrick knows that we don't agree with uh, with uh, many of the things that he believes and practices as a Catholic. But I certainly agree with his estimation that when we have people who profess themselves to be Christians and they are living immoral, ungodly lives, there's hardly a thing worse than that to cause harm, James. That's right, and we've seen it so often in the recent years. Even men that were at one time uh, faithful gospel preachers become involved in uh, immoral uh, activities. Uh, years of good influence are destroyed, and uh, they have a tremendous in, uh, impact upon the lives of others. And oftentimes you see it even in their families as to the sad conditions that result as a re, uh, result of their immoral behavior. Right. We're out of time. It's been an excellent discussion tonight. Uh, I appreciate you, James, for joining us. Thank we you, James. We appreciate the good work you're doing during the gospel meeting this can week. You, can you come back and be a part of the program every Thursday? Night? <laughs> <laughs> be a long trip, wouldn't it? Uh, I'll listen. I'll listen. Uh, All right. But thanks for having me. Remember, remember our poll question. We still got it out there. Send us a quick email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say yes, I could vote for Sarah Palin. No, I couldn't. We're just going to. We're just trying to take a raw numbers survey there. But we're going to get into the discussion as to why or why not before the election in November. So send us an answer to our poll question. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thank you, Jacob. And thank you all for staying and being a part of the program in our live audience. And thank you for listening at home. We appreciate you being a part of the virtual Bible study. And we hope that you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.